in Alan Moore's iconic Swamp Thing run, which yes. is probably behind us somewhere here. No, it's not because I borrowed it and never gave it back. I think I lost it. There's a moment. <laughs> wow. Hello, welcome to Guides the Unknown. I'm Kristen. And I'm her little brother, William. That's right. And this week we are going to be talking about the Hynek scale, which you may know better as the Close Encounters scale, featured in the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Which we also both watched. Yeah, for the first time. A major gap in our horror knowledge. Yeah, humongous our sci-fi, sci-fi knowledge. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of can't believe it, and I'm ashamed to admit it. I know. It's really weird, especially considering it's one of our mom's favorite movies. I remember hearing her say that like a whole bunch of t- – whenever favorite movies would come up, I guess, right. when we were kids and stuff, and yet I'd never seen it. I didn't even know that. You brought that yeah. up over text when we were watching the movie mm-hmm. uh, uh, separately. Right. Uh, I did not know that this was one of mom's favorite movies, and I think that that's really cool. I know. I know. When I was watching this, I was like, mom's cool. Yeah. I knew mom was cool anyway, but still. I was like, this is a fun thing for her to be very into. And sidebar, another thing that you pointed out, our mom's birthday is February 17th, mm-hmm. the runtime of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And there are multiple versions, but we right. watched the same one. I believe it's the director's cut. Yes. Two hours and 17 minutes. 2.17. Synchronicity. Numbers. That's right. So we told our mom and she got a kick out of it. Hell yeah. And we are going to tell you about it, both the movie and the scale itself. But before we dive into all that, we do, of course, want to remind you mm-hmm. that you can keep up with Guide to the Unknown in a multitude of ways. That's right. First, follow at GTTUPod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Mm-hmm. You can also back us on Patreon. That is patreon.com slash GTTUPod. If you become a Netherworld warrior uh, on our starting at $4 tier, you'll get access to dozens of extra material that the average Joe Schmo ain't getting. Right, we have a lot of stuff up there now. Have a closer encounter with us. That's right. It's starting to be a treasure trove. And I guess the encounter number that it would be, if you were to do that, would be... uh, A fourth? You know what? Possibly a fourth. Okay, I would say a second kind as well. It caused a physical effect, which could be uh, the chuckles. (laughs) A chortle, a (laughs) laugh. Uh, it's definitely not a sixth. What did I say? Oh, it would no. be a first kind visual. It might be a fifth kind direct communication. Ah, uh, yes, it is. Because I always write back to people's comments on Patreon. Yes. So, yes, all of those things. So go check that out. It's awesome. We would super appreciate if you leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever is convenient for you that you can leave reviews. That's really important and awesome. We'd also love it if you would join our Facebook group, our private community. It's called The Guides the Unknown Secret Society. And you can find it at facebook.com slash groups slash pod, Or you can just put the name of the group into Facebook and it'll bring you there. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Get closer. That's right. Get closer. Fifth kind. (laughs) All right, so I am going to start us off. Hell yeah. All right, you know, first of all, did you know any of this before we researched it? No, I'm not even- I didn't either. I don't even remember how this initially came up. You brought it up, and I don't remember why. I don't remember why, but somewhere I saw a a website referring to uh, having close encounters. Yeah, yeah. And that it's a classification scale. I thought it was a movie. Right. I thought it was nothing but a movie. Me too, I guess. I mean, I guess I knew that by Close Encounters of the Third Kind, I guess if I thought anything of it, I thought there was an in-world system. Right. Because it's obvious if there's a third kind, there are probably second and maybe fourth or whatever. But I didn't know that it was a real thing. Didn't know it was a real thing. It never occurred to me that Close Encounters of the Third Kind Mm -hmm. meant that there was a first and second. Mm -hmm. I just thought that it was like, you know, there's a fictional world within the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yeah. And the fictional people in that movie 
maybe go like like think about like the, this is the third kind yes exactly yeah i mean think about the ways that like uh what is that stupid movie independence day mm-hmm. the ways How that they you. talk about aliens and stuff like they just build their own rule set for the way the creatures work right for all i knew that was the way that it worked in, in the steven spielberg movie but how dare you call the guy from taxi stupid oh my god Kristen, watching watching close <laughs> encounters of the third kind gave me a newfound disappointment <laughs> with independence day independence day is fun Oh, it's terrible. Oh, it's fun. Get out of it's here. It's terrible. Oh, you're crazy. And now having seen this movie, it yeah. occurred to me just how much like that movie is ripping off Steven Spielberg's style. Well, probably, but it's a totally different kind of movie. Yeah, it's the, the, it's <laughs> the bad kind. The bad kind. A close Encounter close of, kind of the bad, bad kind. kind. <laughs> it's more of a goofy popcorn movie. They take themselves really Day. seriously in Independence Day. No, they Day. don't. Yes, they he punches do. an alien in the face. Says, welcome to Earth. Yeah, they do not take themselves seriously. Give me a break. I guess. In this movie, Richard Dreyfus plays with mashed potatoes for a while. Silly things can happen in a movie, but also- It's not that silly. His son next to him is crying. Oh, it's really upsetting. Yeah, it's this is not a silly movie. <laughs> it's really upsetting. <laughs> it's really upsetting. It was way more upsetting than I was banking Oh, a for. thousand percent. It was great. It was great. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I, we just went through both of what, what we both know. You didn't know anything. I didn't know anything either. The deal is, is that this is a scale that was developed by J. Allen Hynek, at least the first three levels in the scale. So Will's going to cover four to seven, um, which were added on later by somebody else. But he developed kind of three before the close encounters things and then ca- close encounters of the first, second and third kind. So it's best known from the movie, but it was first laid out in his book, The UFO Experience, A Scientific Inquiry, five years earlier in 1972. Okay. Um, so who is this guy? Who is J. Allen Hynek? He was an astronomer, a professor, and a ufologist, and he acted as the UFO advisor to the Air Force under, and this is like a big deal, and these are topics for another day, because I also don't know a ton about these. He worked on Project Sign, which turned into Project Grudge, and then the most infamous infamous one is project blue book and so he had 22 consecutive years of service with the air force cool then when he okay so when he went in there he basically started as a debunker he was basically hired as a scientist to like listen to these stories and prove why they're wrong and um he ended up opening up and becoming a believer in ufos and stuff like that so he later said that that kind of happened as a result of conducting tons of interviews with pilots and police officers as witnesses in these cases and there are people that he viewed as credible and they don't really have anything to gain by lying and he also noticed there was this resentment and or no excuse me he had a resentment um, and distrust of the fact that the Air Force totally shut down every witness. Like, it wasn't open in any way to anybody's testimony. They would have them come in, I guess, to have it on record or whatever. Yeah. But they were always looking to debunk, always just writing it off. And he was seeing things that bore a little more questioning. And they were like, nope, this isn't real. We just need to prove that it's not real. And he got frustrated and kind of wary of that. Like, what's the deal here which is interesting but it also calls to mind like there are two ways of interpreting that sort of story you're brought in to debunk and over the course of time you become a believer Mm -hmm. it's funny because it makes a lot of sense right right he'd be exposed to so many stories of people's encounters or uh ways that they witnessed unexplained events Mm -hmm. and so when you're unable to rule out events you're left over like with a, a bunch of things that are still pure mysteries yeah and so you start to expand your your thinking 
to be right. like, well, maybe something else is causing this. Maybe there is something out in the stars. Right. But the other thing is, it makes me think of like, um, uh, uh, wasn't it a thing with Will Graham and Hannibal Lecter that Will Graham was such an empath, uh-huh. it was kind of dangerous for him to spend time around other serial killers because he would start to lose sense of himself. Yeah, I think that was only in the show, but yes, for sure. Okay. You could say, like, if, if there was a view of somebody who didn't think that any of this was legit, you could say, like, yeah, he talked to enough crazies, they somehow got in his head and it turned him into a believer. Constant exposure. Yeah. Unending exposure. Your whole job is to look into this stuff. Yeah. And so maybe eventually it's easier to believe or more fun or something to believe than constantly be fighting back against people telling you something is true. Yeah. You like, start why to, not believe it instead of be like, no, no, no. You start to side with your interviewees mm-hmm. rather than your superiors. Yeah. Or just telling you to move on and get the next thing done. Right. Exactly. Like Holden in Mindhunter. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just like That's true. there needs to be a line. Now, yeah. again, I'm playing devil's advocate. It's just what came to mind. Yeah, I could t- I'm could. i sure that there are people who've said that. Like, yeah, you spend a lot of time with these people and he became a quack or whatever. Right, yeah. um, he once said, that was kind of an interesting uh, quote. He said, as a scientist, I must be mindful of the lessons of the past. All too often it has happened that matters of great value to science were overlooked because the new phenomenon did not fit the accepted scientific outlook of the time. So he's saying, like, maybe science isn't willing to evolve with the times and believe that something, even though it can't be scientifically proven, maybe it's just that it can't be proven yet. Right. Which I think is an interesting and a pretty um, common thought among people who have feet in both worlds, people who are scientists, but who also believe in this stuff that isn't scientifically proven, um, say, maybe it just hasn't caught up yet. Maybe we will learn. Also, like, the basis behind, like, the ways that we investigate cold cases and crime, Mm -hmm. right? Like, people will still collect all the evidence right. even though it didn't point to any resolution because maybe at some point in the future we'll have new data or new methodology for examining that evidence. Yeah, exactly. Like they're not not, you know, I don't know about the majority, I don't know about percentage, but there are cases that had DNA that could be tested once DNA right. um testing became was a, commonplace and known became commonplace and they had collected that stuff not knowing that would be commonplace but why not just get everything that we can hell yeah collect everything yeah it, it really can't hurt so i thought that was kind of interesting and so it was when he stopped working for the air force that he wrote the book that contains the scale so here is the scale the first three things that come before the close encounters and the deal is where the delineation is is that These three that I'm going to say, um, close encounters means literally close. So he deems close to be within 500 feet of you Mm. is what you're witnessing. Anything further away from that isn't a a close encounter. Interesting. So these first three things are classified by being at more than 500 feet away from you when you witness them. And then we move into the close encounters. So start far away, get a little bit closer. So the first thing classification that he has are called nocturnal lights. So super literal, just actual lights in the nighttime, specifically sky. And so I have a couple of um, instances of sightings in New Jersey in 2019 because there's a link in the show notes. And I know I talked about it on the show because I came across this article last year. There was an article about UFO sightings in New Jersey and how there have been a lot of them. And I bet there can be for every state as well. Right. But on um, the NJ Patch website, they have reports 
by the National UFO Reporting Center, which is um, an independent organization that helps and gathers data from people who report to 911. So I guess they somehow dig through 911 reports and condense everything that is UFO related. Interesting. And so I thought I would read a few nocturnal lights condensed UFO calls from New Jersey in 2019. So I gathered three that were all around the same time and date because it makes it seem like something was really going on in the same area. So there are three reports from October 8th in Colts Neck, New Jersey at 8.07 and 8.08. So this first one is white orb floating in sky turns green and shoots away. Then the next one is low and close, fast-moving whitish-blue light that went up and down before moving moving northeast. Then the next one is green glowing craft seen over Colts Neck High School. And then this one I want to include because it happened in South Plainfield, where our mommy lives. Oh, boy. Um, this is from December. Somebody reported at 5.45 a.m. on December 4th in South Plainfield, a white hovering sphere with some green and red lights. In South Plainfield. Yeah. At 545. Yes. That's part of our old home phone number. Ooh, that's right. <laughs> the numbers. I know. The numbers are getting us. They're everywhere. Yeah. On that meme of the, or that gif of that lady with all the numbers. I'm Topsy Kretz, yeah. and I wrote the number 23. <laughs> uh, stay away from me. <laughs> So the next classification are daylight disks, which are UFOs seen when it's light out and are generally oval in shape. I don't really understand why the specificity of ovals or disks. I would think it would just be like daylight sightings or yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's called feel, daylight disks, yep. this one is. Mm -hmm. So if you... It can't just be called like daylight UFO. I know. Even the if other one. If it were one, square, it wouldn't qualify as a daylight disk. So I'm saying it's weird. Even the other one, nocturnal lights. Right. It's specifically lights in the sky at night. I mean, maybe he's like, well, there's wiggle room within that. But that's what they're called. Like daylight disks and nocturnal lights. lights mm -hmm. Those could be the same thing just depending on the time of day. Yeah, totally. You know, so like a daylight disk at nightfall turns into a nocturnal light. Yes, but I guess you could also say that some of the close encounters could all happen within the same incident, too. I guess that's true. So, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, so, yeah, these are day they see in the daytime and they're generally oval. So, I did the same thing with some calls to 911 in New Jersey. So, on August 3rd, or no, excuse me, August 6th at 3 p.m. in Brigantine, I thought this one kind of painted a picture really quickly and I like it. I was taking pictures of my kids playing on the beach with thunderstorms in the background. Object showed up in pictures, was not visible. Ooh. They called 911 about that. There's a, something in my picture that I couldn't see when I took the picture. Police? I really like that, but also awesome. It's awesome, but yeah. like it's like this is outside the police's jurisdiction. Yeah, it definitely you is. Know? I like, understand calling 911 about lights currently in the sky or whatever. Right. But not I developed my pictures and there's a UFO in it. It was a while ago. Yeah, yeah. It was a while ago. It's gone. There's nothing you can do about it yeah. now. But I guess some people don't know where else to call. I certainly do. You look up your non-emergency line in town. I called the police the other night. Not everything's an emergency, but you got to call the police all the time. What'd you call the police about? I heard someone screaming in the street the other night. Oh, my God. Did anything up. come of it? There was a fight happening somewhere in the street outside. Someone called somebody else a fudging uh -oh. uh, bunch. Oh, no. And so I, I crept down the stairs uh -huh. and peeked out the front door and saw a car driving away. Ooh. And I called the police and I reported. Emergency line or non-emergency? I called the emergency line because I was emergency. all tired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's an emergency. Yeah, it was actively happening. And then yeah. the person came back later. Yeah. 
And oh. there was more uh, more screaming. Huh, more, more fudge. fudge. More fudge. <laughs> more fudge bunches. <laughs> <laughs> How neat. Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, that, that's a good call for emergency line. Perhaps not. I see something scary in my picture. 911, where's your emergency? Hello, Popo. <laughs> the fudgy bunch is outside, and I need your help. <laughs> we understand. We're on our way. <laughs> we, we live in a very quaint town. They probably would understand automatically. They're yeah. like, sir, calm down. We'll be right the fudge there. <laughs> they don't curse either. I just overheard somebody accusing somebody else of being a fudgy bunch. <laughs> All right, they're coming. We got to get out there. They're coming, sir. They're coming. Um, the next one is from October 15th at 8.30 a.m. in Seagirt. So also, a, these are all, I noticed about these daylight ones, they're all in South Jersey. Huh. Um, like Brigantine and Seagirt are both kind of like beach towns, and the next one is adjacent. So this is that one from Seagirt in the morning. Well, in a boat off the coast of New Jersey, under crystal blue skies, I witnessed a white oval object sitting in the sky. I just realized I pulled these. Maybe I pulled them deliberately because they were all from the South. There were probably other things that weren't all South Jersey. But, right. you know, there, there's like a whole like long list of them because this website that I linked to has every snippet from 2019 that is some something UFO related. Well, it's also like one of the things that I associate with going closer to the shore mm-hmm. is, and it's not. This is not like a mystery or anything, but I'm so not accustomed to being in like beachy areas uh-huh. that I really beachy areas. Yeah, I start to really notice when the horizon goes away. Uh huh. When you're not able to like see like buildings in the distance and stuff, there are no trees. Yeah, obscuring your vision from everything. You're like, oh, I guess the water's that way because there's nothing in the sky. Oh, if you were to look out at the beach. Yeah, yeah and so yeah, it's yeah. like there's so much like room to be able to see like the atmosphere. Well, but this is daytime. These are all daytime. Oh, but things. it doesn't matter. I'm not talking about like it needs to be dark for this. Okay. Like there's nothing obscuring your vision when the shore is right there. Oh, okay. You know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah, that's like, true. Yeah. Yeah, there there aren't buildings or anything. Maybe someday. <laughs> you know, the thing about the shores, there's no buildings there. That's right. That's basically no... my clever point. <laughs> There are no ocean hotels. Fun fact about the beach. Yeah. There you are no see, buildings in the water. You can see anything out there. There are no buildings in the way. <laughs> now, the final one from Brick on October 4th at 1.40 p.m. Somebody reported it was a very shiny silver egg to round shape. Hovered in the same spot. Then suddenly, as we looked at it, it just simply disappeared. <laughs> I would... Be very scared about that. That could have been a, uh, a Cadbury cream egg still in the foil. <laughs> I could make that disappear. Say, I'll make that disappear too sweet. <laughs> Actually, I won't. I don't like those. It's gone. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, it's magic. So the next classification um, outside of Close Encounters are radar visual, which are reports of UFOs that have appeared on radar. But this can be dicey because radar is vulnerable to, to inaccuracies because of the atmosphere. Mm. So it's it sounds very proofy, but it's not necessarily. So a good example of this would be something that we talked about in episodes 10 and episode 37 that report in the new york times with the members of the navy yes who caught ufos on their radar and you can look up the video of that you can hear the audio of them talking to each other those showed up on radar so those would fall under the radar visual on this the uh, hynix scale gotcha yeah, yeah yeah okay now we will move into the close encounters now we are getting 500 feet or less from the event because we're literally getting close exactly which is funny like you're I, it didn't occur to me when i no. read that i was like 
Huh. You're so used to the <laughs> phrase. System. You're so used to the phrase close encounters of the third kind. Yeah. It never really occurs to you to dissect what that means in and of itself. To tell you the truth, I guess, again, without really thinking of it, I thought it was like, to say emotionally close isn't quite right, but... Like I wasn't thinking distance-wise close, like you were thinking, like a close scare, right. like a close scrape, like almost there. You were thinking like intimate to yeah. a certain extent, like yeah, a relationship yeah. encounter, right, right, an right. encounter with some alien thing that meant something to you. Right. Is I guess what I thought because when I read that, I was surprised that it meant literally proximity proximity-wise a close encounter. Right. But here's the deal. So close encounters of the first kind are strictly visual UFO sightings. So you see it and it's within 500 feet. And an example of this that I would like to talk about at a later date. um, Do you know about the abduction at Allagash Lake? Does that ring a bell to you? No. There's an Unsolved Mysteries episode about it. It's very good. This is a great story. Um, So there were four friends who went camping together at a lake. And they were out in the canoe at night. And they saw this bright light in the distance that got closer and closer and closer to them. And they started to blink their flashlight at it, just kind of like messing around, not knowing what it was, if it was another person, sort of craft or some sort of alien thing. They didn't know what the deal was, but they're flashing their flashlight at it. And um, I kind of said this backwards. They saw it a little bit far away. They start flashing their flashlight at it. And then it starts coming closer. And as it came very close to them, they all blacked out and lost time. They ended up back at the beach and they lost time and they recovered some memories later. Wow. So definitely a story for another day. Some of you guys out there might know about it. Yeah, I would love to learn more about that. Similar to some of these other stories, that could fall into of the second kind, of the third kind as well. But that part of it, let's call a close encounter of the first kind. Right. Um, A close encounter of the second kind is an encounter that causes a physical effect. So whether that means that the effect is literally on the earth, on nature, or something like scorch marks, whether it makes a machine act funny, so messing with electricity or your car, um, or if it affects a creature like an animal or a human so animal reactions like animals freaking out or whatever because they sense something around physical sensations um damage to nature like burn marks and things like that those would be a close encounter of the second kind so um travis walton's case is a good example here remember it was one of the coolest parts of the case to me was that in the area that he was abducted from the trees and the forest area was all screwed up so the trees that were around the site that he was abducted from they analyzed, they, they took slices and they analyzed the rings in the trees and the rings that were closest in toward the center where he was abducted from were wider. They weren't perfect concentric circles like tree rings usually are. They were warped and wider. Like it was growing in, like the trees were growing into the center. Oh, weird. Like there was something that they were attracted to that was more toward the center oh, of this right. area. Yeah, I know, yeah, yeah. wasn't that, I remember we both like loved I that. was trying to picture it. Yeah, it's like the the trees are being like, Almost like, like there's a gravitational pull. Yeah, like they're, they're growing being to lean long. in. Exactly. Yeah, really weird. Totally. Um, so that would be a close encounter of the second kind because it affected nature and wildlife in some way. Right. Super weird. So then the last one that I'm going to cover 
is close encounters of the third kind, which is what's dealt with in the movie. So this means that you are encountering an actual, physical, intelligent presence from a UFO. And I thought it was interesting that this counts humans. So Hynek wasn't necessarily just assuming that all UFOs are purely extraterrestrial. He was also leaving open the idea there could be a UFO that's maybe from... um, you know, another country or a different branch of intelligence in our country that we don't know about, but purely an unknown flying object. If you were to encounter the pilot of that object and it's a human, that still counts as a close encounter of the third kind. You're still encountering like an unknown thing and meeting who has piloted and is responsible for this unknown thing. So I thought when, that was interesting. It's when, not the predominant meaning, but right. I thought it was interesting that he left open it could be a human. So when Richard Dreyfus is mm. uh, taken in by the FBI yeah. in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, that's the close encounter he's having when they put him in that little interrogation room. No. <laughs> they didn't They didn't reach him in a UFO. If they came to him in a UFO, that was a mystery. They, he thought it was a UFO and it turned out to be a helicopter. Did he? Yeah. He thought it was a UFO? For a minute. I don't know if that counts. <laughs> That counts. <laughs> it, it counts enough he to make sure. He had two close encounters of the third kind. Boy, what a time for this guy. So yes, then Bob Balaban was a it was a close encounter of the third kind thing for Richard Dreyfuss. Did you know it was Bob Balaban in that movie Instantly. or did you have to look it up? Instantly. I couldn't recognize him through the beard. Yeah. No, the beard. D- how did you find out then? You were looking at the IMDb and you saw him there? Yeah, I, yes. I like studied So through the, the movie. whole movie you didn't realize it was him? I knew it was him about halfway through the movie. Okay. But, but little I, Balaban lips? I know, but he looked so interesting with a beard. He looked like a different human being. He did look different. Love Bob Balaban. Oh, I do too. Prolific actor Mm -hmm. all over the place. Um, So an example of a close encounter of the third kind besides Richard Dreyfuss' encounter with Bob Balaban would be the story of Indrid Cold, who was an alien man in black, potentially. So there are men in black, not Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, but there are men in black who they say like Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, come in and cover up alien stuff. And then there are men in black who are aliens themselves. And Indrid Cold is somebody who's been said to be an alien man in black who approached somebody named Woodrow Derenberger in his car. And we talked about it, I think, in episode 47. I went back, and I'm pretty sure it's episode 47. Um, Indrid Cold is also a big part of the beginning of Hellier 2 on Amazon and YouTube. If you want to check that out. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So now Will... I'm going to pass it over to you to do four through seven before we talk about the movie. Let's do it because Close Encounters. So you talked about the Heineck is his name? Yes. Who, by the way, is in Close Encounters yes. of the Third Kind. He has like a little cameo in the movie, which is very cool. Yeah, totally. To be a scientist guy who created the classifications of UFO encounters and put him in your UFO movie is really neat. Yeah, it's awesome. It's been a real thrill. Yeah. Did you know that also the author of Jaws is in Jaws? Is that right? Yes. Oh, it makes sense. I didn't realize that. It came up when I was reading about him being in Close Encounters, because it's another Steven Spielberg thing where he slipped in the author of something that inspired the movie. Interesting. I would like to read Jaws. I have not. It's supposed to be really bad. We talked about reading it for Book Club, Book Club. We never got around to it. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Um, So... Beyond the close encounter system, there are also subtypes. Subtypes. Yeah. Uh, these were defined by a man named Ted Bloker, and I thought it was fun enough to just kind of quickly go through them. Sure. I don't have really much to share, except these were supposed to be uh, sort of like subheadings to everything that you just discussed. So, subtypes. A is an entity as observed 
only inside the UFO. The entity never gets out of the UFO. Okay. You just kind of see it sitting in the driver's seat, mm. like Han Solo and Chewbacca and the Millennium Pete Falcon. Too. Like, yeah, P2. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Hey. Never gets out of the car. Yeah. Too lazy, that P2. <laughs> That's a good subtype. That makes sense. Yeah. B, an entity is observed inside and outside the UFO. They get out, they walk around, they stretch their legs. C, an entity is observed near a UFO, but it doesn't go in or out. So P2 yeah. is you're driving past while P2's taking a whiz in the bushes and he yeah, parked like his UFO the right gas. there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But he, you don't actually see him get into it. But you have cause to believe that's his car. These are funny. I know. Ted Bloker really thought this was important. Yeah. D, an entity is observed. No UFOs are seen by the observer, but UFO activity has been reported in the area at about the same time. Okay. So you see P2, right. and other people have said that P2 has been driving around. Mm -hmm. But he might have pushed the spaceship behind a billboard for, you know, Happy Valley. Yes, exactly. <laughs> behind Hill Valley. Yeah. Um, e. An entity is observed, but no UFOs are seen, and no UFO activity has been reported in the area at that time. So you see P2, and he goes, shh. Nobody knows about this except for you and me. No one's talking about this. It's a shared moment between you and yeah. P2. <laughs> That's nice. F, no entity or UFOs are observed. I wish the sentence just stopped there. Like a sub, I had a close encounter, but it was the kind where you don't see a UFO or anything or like even an entity. Yeah, it was me talking to my friend. Yeah, exactly. That's it. So F is no entity or UFOs are observed, but the subject experiences some kind of, quote, intelligent communication. Okay. All right, so it's purely like a, a mental message sent to yes, you. Yes, you okay. believe that you've been like talking to aliens, but you have no, like, mm -hmm. you didn't see anything. I read like... When I was trying to read up on people talking to aliens, because it'll be incorporated into some of, what I, um, some of what I'm about to talk about. Yeah. I read people that were like, yeah, I did a bunch of mushrooms, and I think I talked to aliens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, but why? Right. You were on mushrooms. Right. But there's also the argument that mushrooms put you on kind of a different plane and get you into the space where you can talk to aliens. I guess so. so I guess so. It seems on the surface that you just disregard it, but did it help you help bump you into that level did it connect you yeah. to the grays right just like how swamp thing has his sensual sweet potato i'm that sorry connects you to the green i'm sorry do people not know do you not know what that is what everybody google swamp things sensual sweet potato what no 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 don't google it because william's gonna tell us google it. what the hell are you talking about we don't have enough time <laughs> oh my god in alan moore's like iconic Swamp Thing run, which yes. is probably behind us somewhere here. No, it's not because I borrowed it and never gave it back. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I think I lost it. There's a moment. <laughs> wow. I think I lost it. I haven't seen it in a long time. So maybe I gave it back. Maybe I gave it back. So now it's on me. If it's not in this house, now it's because I lost it after you gave it back? Mm, yeah. <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> so Swamp Thing had a girlfriend, but he's a vegetable man. And at one point, they get experience in psychedelic self-celebration. Okay. And he feeds her a sweet potato that he produced from his body, barf. Ugh. But it brings her onto his, like, sensual plane of yeah. reality. Oh, my God. It is one of the things from Alan Moore's Swamp Thing that I do not like. That's very weird. <laughs> very weird. <laughs> so, anyway, yeah. let's move on. <laughs> sure. Thank you for sp sparing me the, the gook. Yes. So let's get to the further close encounter types not designated by Hynek. Right. The first of them is a close encounter of the fourth kind, which is quite simply a human is abducted 
by a UFO or its occupants. So this obviously covers almost everything that you probably would have thought that a close encounter of the third kind and right. earlier would be. Mm-hmm. But James Hynek never really, I guess, considered that a person would be taken. Even though it's there have weird. been stories of alien abductions for decades upon decades upon yeah, decades. Yeah, it's strange that he himself didn't incorporate that into the system. Exactly. Maybe he didn't believe in it. Maybe. Or something. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I don't know why he would think that there was something to stop. I know. I don't from know. Being a possibility. That seems natural to me that that would be part of the scale. Yes, but it's hmm. not. It was tacked on later by an associate of right. Hynek's, Jacques Vallée. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a big deal, too. I don't know really anything about him, but it was like a name I knew. He's a big, big, big deal. Not only uh, was he a contemporary of Hynek's, but in the movie... Uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, there's a French character played Mm -hmm. by director Francois Truffaut. The character is named Lecombe. Mm -hmm. This character is based on uh, Jacques Vallée. Yeah. So both Vallée and Hynek, sort of the fathers of the classification system of Close Encounters, Mm -hmm. are in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which is very cool. Yeah. But so um, my C also, I would put on this, would be every alien abduction case you've ever heard of, Mm -hmm. and you've definitely heard of some. Uh, Kristen already talked about uh, some of the stuff we've covered in the past. I would also point you to when we discussed The Hills Mm -hmm. and uh, when we covered the Travis Walton story in Guide to the Unknown 35. Any alien abduction is a close encounter of the fourth kind, which is an add-on. To the classic system. Very yeah. strange to Yeah, me. it's surprising. So a little bit more about Jacques Vallée. I feel I feel like since I don't really have any other fourth encounters to talk about, because I'm sure we'll talk about other alien abductions in the future, Yeah, but it's not quite as enlightening for the what we're trying to learn now about the classification system. Mm-hmm. Here's a little bit about Jacques uh, Vallée. He said that a fourth kind encounter should refer to, quote, cases when witnesses experience a transformation of their sense of reality. It could include non-abduction cases where absurd, hallucinatory, or dreamlike events are associated with UFO encounters. So if a UFO goes by and you have like a, a sudden moment where you are connected to Swamp Thing's sweet potato world. Right. Bam. That's That counts as fourth kind. Your mind was yeah. essentially okay. like tapped in, hijacked. Okay. Abducted. Yeah. I mean, you're experiencing it in a way, even though it's not physical. Yeah, exactly. So you're still, yeah, you're hijacked. You're part of it. Mm -hmm. So in 1955, when uh, Jacques Vallée was about 16 years old, he first saw a UFO. He later would go on to work for the the French Space Committee, where he claims to have seen people destroying evidence of UFOs. There was an object uh, orbiting the Earth. And he saw people who couldn't figure out what the hell that thing was mm-hmm. writing down information about it and destroying huh. like any documentation of it. Yeah. Uh, he would eventually become one of the most vocal scientists trying to validate the extraterrestrial hypothesis, which is something I've never heard before. Yeah, I came across that today, too, and I'd never heard of it either. It is uh, sort of combated by uh, another hypothesis about what UFOs are. So put simply, an extraterrestrial hypothesis means something outside of planet Earth. Mm -hmm. And if you think about spatial reasoning, it literally means like, oh, it could be a Martian. It could be P2 left Jupiter and flew over here in his spaceship. So Mm -hmm. we can say he drove from A to B. Yeah. Jacques would eventually start to, to think that this is not... The deal. The deal. Um, he felt like the extraterrestrial hypothesis was too narrow and ignored too much data. Mm. So like 
alien encounters sometimes this seem... This is a guy who likes his data. Sorry he loves his data. He, with all those little addendums. Or oh, wait, did he make those or no? Well, he made... No, no, no. That was That's Ted right. Blucher. That's right. Yeah, that, yeah, was yeah. Fabruca. That, was, that was Fabruca. That was Fabruca. But, uh, uh, I mean, this what, guy did add Terry classifications. Gar was with Fabruca. Oh. She's in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yeah. Oh, my God. The Terry Gar reverse. This goes all the way to the top. <laughs> to Terry Gar. Yeah. <laughs> She's been pulling the strings the whole time. The whole time. So he felt like stories of UFOs were ignoring information by saying that P2 is driving a spaceship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if if they're bending time, if they are like bending space, like that doesn't make sense for somebody driving an outer space car. Yeah, right. It's almost too mundane. Yes. Basically. So he began to suggest an alternative to the extraterrestrial visitation hypothesis, which is called the multidimensional visitation hypothesis essentially meaning that there are other universes other Mm -hmm. dimensions and so maybe some ufos are coming from there right these two things don't contradict each other p2 can live on jupiter yes but there can be a p2 who comes from another dimension p22 yes who is from a different dimension entirely Mm -hmm. and maybe his planet even exists physically in the same space as us right but he's just through the veil. Yeah. He's somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's that transparency on top of our transparency. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. We're compacted on each other. Right. Um, Valet's opposition to the popular ETH, the extraterrestrial hypothesis, was not well received by prominent U.S. ufologists. Hence, he was viewed as something of an outcast. <laughs> Valet would go on to refer to himself as, quote, a heretic among heretics. Okay. Isn't that great? Yeah. They're all people who are outcasted because they believe in UFOs and stuff. Right, right. And now he's outcasted by them. He has an even more outlandish theory. Yeah. Which I really like. He wrote a paper. I think it's a good theory. I think it's a great theory. I. That's what makes sense to me. Yeah, why not? Yeah. I mean, it's just, I guess if you're talking about plausibility, mm-hmm. to me, it's more plausible that P2 can drive his car from Jupiter. It's more plausible, but like, I don't know. I I don't know. There, there's, there's a theory about... Um, universes and everything that like that these things are kind of all mashed together they might not be from the same universe but maybe aliens are from a different you or not not universe uh well yeah kind of dimension dimension, dimension yeah. maybe aliens are from another dimension maybe bigfoot is from another dimension it yeah. just blinks into ours sometimes maybe. maybe ghosts for they basically are are from another dimension they just blink in that all like if you're believing this stuff and that sure. they show up it makes sense to me if you're believing that that it could be that they're blinking in from another dimension correct and for me Mm -hmm. uh there are two theories of ufos one is that they're from other dimensions the other is that they're from outer space yeah i believe in neither so i have fun with both of them yeah if i have to pick which one's more plausible it's p2 on jupiter yes i think there could be both right but i don't i don't discount this guy's theory so he wrote a paper which i'm going to read to you it's very short called Five Arguments Against the Extraterrestrial Origin of Unidentified Flying Objects. He wrote this paper in 1990. Scientific opinion has generally followed public opinion in the belief that unidentified flying objects either do not exist, or if they do, they must represent evidence of a visitation by some advanced race of space travelers. It is the view of the author that research on UFOs need not be restricted to these two alternatives. On the contrary, the accumulated data uh, base exhibits several patterns tending to indicate that UFOs are real, represent a previously unrecognized phenomenon, and that the facts do not support the common concept of space visitors. Five specific arguments articulated here contradict the extraterrestrial theory. One, 
all these alien people love classifications. Yeah. You know, close encounters of the up. first, second, third kind, the 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 what the, the first three daytime discs yeah, or whatever yeah, yeah. the hell they love that Blucher loved his subtypes right we had more close encounters now we've got our five Maybe arguments it's against it makes it more organized and sciency and you're talking about something that seems so out there Maybe. that grounding it makes it feel a little bit more official and less kooky possibly i mean also anybody who's ever worked with me on anything knows that i love a bullet point mm-hmm. so i yeah. certainly i get it but it is it funny keeps to things organized see all these things stacked together so here are his five arguments against the extraterrestrial theory okay one Unexplained close encounters are far more numerous than required for any physical survey of the Earth. No idea what it means. I don't know what that means either. All right, good. I'm glad you said that because I was like, was I not listening no. while he was talking or did I just not understand? I, I privately read it like five or six times. Okay, gotcha. I, I, somebody else explained it to but us I what it means. Out for a sec. Unexplained close encounters are far more numerous than required for any physical survey of the Earth. Don't know. Point two. The humanoid body structure of the alleged, quote, aliens is not likely to have originated on another planet and is not biologically adapted to space travel. How do you know? Conjecture. Yeah, How complete do you know? conjecture. I don't know. Maybe there's a body type that... Don't body shame aliens. No, please don't. And also, you just don't know their deal. Yeah, you don't know their deal. Come on. Learn their deal. Yeah. You don't know their deal. They don't know their deal. Three, the reported behavior in thousands of abduction reports... Abduction? Abduction. Contradicts the hypothesis of genetic or scientific experimentation on humans by an advanced race. So we are not being experimented on. Uh, How do you... What? I don't know why that would mean that it's not yeah. P2 from Jupiter. I don't, I don't get it. I don't know. And also, I don't totally understand when you're talking about in this context of believing some of this stuff because so many people have reported that they have been experimented on. So I don't totally understand what he's saying. I don't know. Okay. Point four. The extension of the phenomenon throughout recorded human history demonstrates that UFOs are not a contemporary phenomenon. Okay. So just because they They've didn't been... just start happening recently, it can't be P2? This is very strange. And then five, possibly the weakest uh-huh. point of the five. The apparent ability of UFOs to man- manipulate space and time suggests radically different and richer alternatives. But it's like... I mean, couldn't those be extraterrestrial alternatives? But people aren't necessarily buying that aliens are manipulating space and time. So he's like, because I say that it's this way, it suggests that there's probably something deeper to comprehend. But I like, really but don't... under. I, if you don't believe him from the jump, then that's not going to convince you. Right. I don't literally understand some of those points, and then right. I can't like understand where he's coming from right yeah i don't know okay. i have no idea all right close encounters of the fifth kind right now moving past abduction mm-hmm. which you would think that this would be earlier but i think it's the fault of listing them numerically yeah. starting at one right the fifth kind the fifth kind mm-hmm. direct communication between aliens and humans yeah i would think that would be above physical right yeah wouldn't you also think that it would probably be like it's it's almost like nitpicking to make this its own close encounter because it also yeah. feels like it could have been part of Hynix. Yes. It would be maybe part of the third. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. whatever. So it was named by Stephen M. Greer, who founded C-SETI, which is the Center for Study of Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Okay. Uh, it has to be a back and forth communication through conscious voluntary and proactive human initiated cooperative communication with extraterrestrial intelligence wordy 
These these fellows working on four through seven are wordy. Correct. So I tried to find examples of this, but that was what brought me to that guy that said that he took mushrooms and talked to aliens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's it was surprisingly hard to find examples. I know of things like it's hard to Google. Ex- I literally think I googled example of close encounter of the second kind. Yes, if you... until I was like, Kristen, you can be a little bit of a human Google right now because you know you know some of this stuff. Where do some of these stories you know fall into? True. Well, I I started googling like when I googled the fourth kind. There's like a piece of crap movie called The Fourth Kind. So it like oh, totally right, botched with, uh, my... Oh, Jovovich? Yeah. Yeah. And so when I was Googling The Fifth Kind, I was still just getting like garbage. Yeah. So I started searching for, quote, I have spoken to aliens. <laughs> I and, tried something like, like that. Like, quote, aliens too. talked to me. And it still like didn't turn up with much. I know. It was hard. But I did want to dig into this guy that founded uh, the Center for the Study of Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Mm-hmm. And I found an article from something called Omni... Okay. Which doesn't appear to be online anymore. I basically had to, I was finding stuff from alienresearch.fandom.com mm-hmm. and then it linked to this article from Omni, which is just a downloadable file. Yeah. So it's not really online, but here's a quote from it. Greer's new group has garnered support through the UFO field, including psychologist Leo Sprinkle. <laughs> and that's all I really have to say about that's that. That's all we need to know. Leo Sprinkle. That's really all. <laughs> It's truly just about all I have to say about it is that that's all I need to hear. Part of the qualifications for the Center for the Study of Extraterrestrial Intelligence is that it was at least big enough to attract psychologist Leo Sprinkle. People such as Leo Sprinkle of that caliber. Of the Hampton Sprinkles? <laughs> yes, <laughs> the very same. Anyway, Leo Sprinkle feels that C. SETI, which is just a tough, like there's already SETI. Yeah. yeah. But uh, it represents the next step in UFO investigations. He was right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> good to know. <laughs> Thanks for contributing to the dialogue, Sprinkle. Turns out Leo Sprinkle was right. Yeah. <laughs> it was a fool to ever question Leo Sprinkle. We should have known. Uh, there was also physicist Brian O'Leary, a former astronaut trainee. Didn't become an astronaut. <laughs> not, to, not, to, not to rip apart someone's qualifications. But he was an astronaut trainee. I would never even make it to the trainee stage. So Mm. Brian O'Leary is heads and tails over me. Is that formerly wanted to be an astronaut? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And he also is the author of Exploring Inner and Outer Space and the Second Coming of Science. Um, He also backs C. SETI, saying contacts between extraterrestrials and Earthlings seem to have been going on for decades, but we still don't want to admit it. Mm. And honestly, that phrase kind of encapsulated for me what the fun is of yeah. aliens. We've talked about UFOs and stuff on yeah. Dab the Unknown, you know, but it doesn't, it's far from the bulk of what we usually talk about. Right. But this quote really embodies what I like about it. Yeah. The idea that it's an objective truth that we're all hiding from. Right. It's it's almost weirdly taboo. Yes. In a way. It's strange. It's very strange. You know, like people like. I guess because it's too scary the reality of that because with ghosts you're talking about even if you don't believe it or whatever something that you know theoretically can't really harm you they could but let's just say that 
the idea of aliens physically being out there and right. being able to come here and having access to technology we can't even wrap our heads around is threatening. Yes, it is threatening. I it's, guess it's so. It's more threatening than something that's there and then gone like a ghost or whatever. So maybe True. that's part of where the not wanting to admit it comes from, not wanting to admit it to yourselves. And then also there's a stigma about it being nutty. About it being nutty, yeah. You don't want to seem like a nut. I wonder, it also leads to questioning the government. Yeah, I think there's some of that too. You have to, you have to, you're questioning a lot of things. Yeah. It's kind of, it opens a can of worms. The ways that we, and by we, I mean like the global we, the society Mm -hmm. we, the ways that we laugh at Zach Bagans, Mm -hmm. that's different from the way that we laugh at someone like Tom DeLonge. Right. Zach Bagans, we think of as like, oh, he's a charlatan. Oh, he's Mm -hmm. a P.T. Barnum. Oh, he's he's running his little business and whatever. And I don't buy it. Right. The way that we like laugh at Tom DeLonge is by being like, oh, he's crazy. Yeah. He's out of his mind. Yeah, it it is different. Although, I mean, I think people are taking it more and more seriously because I don't think that people think that Tom DeLonge is that crazy and out of his mind anymore. Mm -hmm. I think when you first heard that the guy from Blink-182 has like a UFO business and it was like, what? But I think that it's a little bit more legitimized now. Yeah, I guess so. Especially since 2017 with those reports and audio of the Navy pilots talking about it. I think that more and more people, and this is totally anecdotal. I think people don't want to know. I think people don't I know. engage I think, with alien stuff very much. I think they don't want to know. I think that could be true. But I think people don't think it's as kooky by a stretch. Yeah. Um, I don't know how to start that sentence. Way less people think that it's kooky than used to, I think. I guess that, that could be true. That could be true. I think so. I mean, that's just kind of how I see... It's also what I look at, you know, I like I look at a lot of paranormal and cryptozoology and UFO yeah. stuff. Um, but that's not all I look at. And I just I feel like the discourse is different around it. UFO specifically. I, I think people are a little bit more like that might be true. And yikes. And I don't really want to get into I it. I guess so. I, I, I guess the way that I really think about it is like even with ghosts, mm-hmm. even if you don't believe in ghosts, there's an element there. I mean, talk about intimacy. Ghosts are people you used to know. Yeah. You know, like either they're like monstrous people who are trying to do you harm or mm-hmm. they're a loved one who passed on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's something. Or there. they're a demon who you don't know. A demon. Yeah. Uh, but like there's something there that suggests like. Uh, and there's also the hope that like we don't disappear after we die. Yeah. There's there's a lot. There's more, an emotional thing at stake. There's a lot more emotion attached to and ghosts. And with aliens, yeah. I think that it hits two things. One it immediately goes over your head because you're like, oh my God, it's all about like science and yeah. like taking these readings and I don't know what the hell this is or how they're doing any of this. Right. And then it just instantly gets cranked up to like the government's lying to you so fast that you start to feel like the tinfoil hat thing is right. unapproachable. Yeah, it uh, it feels much more unapproachable than the idea of ghosts or things like yeah, that. I yeah, I can't engage with it nearly as much as I can, can engage with like Mm-mm. ghosts, paranormal stuff. Yeah, I mean, it it doesn't ping your empathy sensors <laughs> yeah. the same way. So let's so move on. it's not as satisfying in some ways. Totally. Satisfying. Yeah. It's not as satisfying. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I really didn't give a crap about UFOs until a few years ago. It was something that was like of no interest to me. I think I've always kind of believed that maybe they could be out there, but I just was like, I don't know, I just didn't find it very interesting. Well, it's like, what the hell am I going to do about it? Yeah, kind of. And like, they're still not my favorite. I think I think it's interesting. I'm more interested than I ever was before. But like, 
ghosts are up here and UFOs are True. much further down. I got to be honest. I like it when we talk about it on this show. Yeah. I never engage with sci-fi stuff much outside no. of this. No, I don't either. It's just not really my thing. You know, even the ways that like, so like I produced a co-produced, associate produced right. a show called Earthbreak with mm -hmm. Jenny Slate. Right. And the ways that I engaged with the sci-fi on that was almost not really at all. Mm -hmm. Like I would work with Morgan on her scripts, Morgan Ormond. Incredibly right. talented writer. Yes. I'd work on the concept and the scripts and stuff, but I would never really get into the like, so these aliens are doing what now? I was mm -hmm. so much more interested in the human stakes. Yeah. Like out of the sci-fi stuff, it's it's fascinating to me, but it's not the thing that attracts me the most. Same. Like once, I think similar to you, once I'm in it and once I'm looking at it, there can be things to find interesting within it, but it's just not... It's not really my wheelhouse or area of interest. When I was doing social media for Hunt a Killer to promote Earthbreak and I had to share like images yeah. or interesting articles or whatever to like thousands and thousands of like followers, it was it was much harder for me to find content to share about Earthbreak yeah. than it was to find content for the other accounts I was running, like the Hunt a Killer Box account, which is crime stuff, the Empty Faces account, which is supernatural. I could share stuff about that all day long, but when it was time to schedule stuff for Earthbreak, I was like, ah, <laughs> yeah. I just don't have the same sources. I don't have the same interest and like entryway. And it was tricky. So I, anyway... Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. Yeah. I, I don't really know what it is. Is it something about us or is it? I, mean, I also just think about people I, sharing that guy that's like, because aliens. That meme guy? Oh, yeah, the, the guy from Ancient Aliens is with the giant is? hair. I'm yeah, not yeah, saying yeah. it's aliens, yeah. but it's aliens. <laughs> but it's definitely aliens. You just laugh at it. Yeah, it's just, I think it's pre maybe preference, maybe. maybe belief stuff. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. All right, so Close Encounters of the Sixth Kind. Chris, yeah. and the Sixth. Sixth. Kind. The Sixth Kind. What number? Uh... Siete. Very good. Cinco? Seis. Very good. Seis. <laughs> I was going to let go. <laughs> so this is the death or of a human or animal associated with a UFO sight sighting. sighting. Somebody has to die okay. for it to be a sixth kind of close encounter. Uh, this could also be considered a more extreme example of a second kind encounter because the second right. kind was something happens to you. Yes. You know, yeah, so it's just an extension something's of Something's happening to you. It sure is. And I found an example. I found an odd, interesting example from alienresearch.fandom.com. This is the story of Zygmunt Adamski. Zygmunt Adamski, a 56-year-old miner, was found dead on top of a coal heap on the 11th of June, 1980, in Yorkshire. He had been missing for five days after last being seen going to the shops. Hmm. Adamski's death was ruled as a heart attack. He was left shirtless, revealing mysterious burns on his neck and shoulders that were covered in a, quote, strange ointment, which appeared to have been used on Zygmunt's burns. The ointment could not be identified by forensic scientists. Alien ointment's a good band name. <laughs> we're alien ointment yeah. and we're here to rock and this song is called Zygmunt and we're dorks <laughs> so James Turnbull the coroner who, dealed with, uh, who dealt with Zygmunt's death says it's the biggest mystery of his career the coroner was baffled because although Zygmunt had been missing for five days he only had one day's growth of beard he says, quote, the question of where he was before he died and what led to his death 
just could not be answered. James also said a strange ointment that appeared to have been used on Zygmunt's burns could not be identified. Exhaustive checks failed to reveal any record of Zygmunt having been treated at any hospital during his missing five days. It was at this point that questions began circulating regarding the origin of this inexplicable ointment and who applied it to Zygmunt. That's awesome. This source now that I'm moving on to with the coroner? Yeah. BBC. Cool. So That's official awesome. News That's source, so trustworthy weird. news source. So although he still has a, a raft of unanswered questions regarding Zygmunt's death, James, the coroner, is opting for an earthly rather than alien explanation at present. But he does say, in 50 years time, if we discover aliens have been visiting us and we didn't know about it, that might just give us an answer. So that's kind of like hanging on to that, the way that we're talking about hanging on to material yes. to later be tested for DNA when we didn't have that technology back in the day. Correct. Maybe someday we'll be able to test that and prove something. Yes, everybody hang on to the story of Zygmunt Adamski, because if we ever find out that aliens have been contacting yeah. us and can burn us and use ointment. Hang on to your ointments, everybody. Hang on to your ointments. Keep your eye on that tiger bomb. It might just be it. Maybe um, loosen a little, little bit so the aliens can slip some women in. I guess so. <laughs> I know I will be. <laughs> I do like the idea, like is a weird term to use, but let's say that Zygmunt mm -hmm. was abducted. He had the burns on his body, just yeah. like from the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yeah. Richard Dreyfuss gets them I in love that, that movie. Um, maybe he had a heart attack up there. Yeah. Maybe his cause of death is a heart attack because he was in a... An Maybe. alien spaceship. Yeah, he got terrified and stressed to death. And they couldn't do anything to revive him. And right. they were trying to heal them him with their alien goo. Maybe it was like the woodsmen all gathering around Mr. C on the ground when he was shot in Ooh, Twin Peaks. Yeah. Mushing stuff on him. Just rubbing goo on him yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I bet you're right about that. I'm pretty sure I'm right. Yeah, it's a Blue Rose case. Yeah. So the final close encounter type. Close encounter of the seventh kind. Now this... Pops right off the charts for me. Yeah. The creation, Kristen, of a human-alien uh -oh. hybrid. Yeah, okay. Either by sexual reproduction. Sexual means. Or artificial scientific <laughs> methods. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, so, do you have an example of this? Kind of. Okay. Kind of. Okay. First of all, there are people out there that claim to be Part alien. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so you can no, find I'm sure. that. Yeah. But there's also this article that's kind of going around somewhat recently. This is from like April 2019. Everyone was popping off. Okay. But it's about a uh, an instructor named Dr. Young Hai Chi, uh, who is an instructor in Korean at Oxford's Oriental Institute. He gave a lecture in 2012, and yet I'm seeing a bunch of articles about it from just last year. Yeah. Uh, so here is some of the story. This is from Oxford student. Dot com. Dr. Chi began his lecture with the statement that, quote, perhaps human civilization is coming to an end. In his 55-minute presentation, he cited Dr. David Jacobs, an abduction researcher in the U.S., who argued that aliens' primary purpose is to colonize the Earth by interbreeding with humans to produce a new hybrid species. Second-generation hybrids are, according to Jacobs, walking unobserved, Amongst us. Oh, okay. Dr. Chi argued that it is not only scientists and theo theologians. Yeah, like religious yeah, scholars. But also non-human species who appear to be greatly concerned about the survivability of the human species. What? 
he pointed that the timing of the alien's appearance coincides with the Earth facing major problems, climate change and nuclear weapons in particular. He concludes that, quote, it may be more or less assumed that the hybrid project is a response to this impending demise of human civilization. He went on to argue that if we act now on climate change, not only can we save ourselves, but also prove aliens wrong in their judgment of our moral capacity. Oh, my God. This is making a lot of leaps. This is making a how lot of he, sense. How does he know that aliens are judging us? Oh, my God. This makes <laughs> perfect right. sense. I don't know about all that. He also believes- I'm not hearing the proof. Mm. I'm hearing a lot of pudding and not a lot of proof. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I could use more pudding. Yeah, I don't care about the proof. Hit me with the pudding. Hit the pudding. He believes there are four subtypes of alien species. Uh, <clears throat> there are insect-like types of aliens, aliens with scales and snake eyes, small aliens, and tall, bold aliens. Bold. Bold. <laughs> what the hell does that mean? Uh, the insect-like species is the ruling species, which orders around the lesser extraterrestrials. In the end, Dr. Chi argued the aliens' actions here on complete are here on completely self-driven and not altruistic purposes. Uh, he said they come not for the sake of us, but for the sake of them, their survival. But their survival is actually our survival as well, the survival of the entire biosphere. Oh, okay. So if we go, they're going to go. Yeah, so they got to save us because there'll be a domino effect for right. them, I guess. We will all die unless okay. there is a, a human-alien hybrid. Okay, I see. So I Dr. Chi is arguing that, and like, you know, that's evolution to a certain extent. Right. Almost, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't, it sounds like that's just made up though. You know, like he's got no evidence for that. That's it. It sounds like a narrative that could fit were you to. To have any reason to believe it. Believe this. Exactly. But like there's If for no, some reason you believe that aliens were here making human alien hybrids. There's no reason to think that. That's a reason to posit that maybe that they it's are so that doing we will that. survive climate change. But I don't know why they believe that in the Exactly. Place. There's, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about all that. Well, William. Yeah. <laughs> let's briefly, briefly. Okay. Talk about Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Okay. Did you enjoy? I really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. I think there were a few things that uh, I think it's ridiculous to say uh, that one of the most like famous movies of all time. Yeah. Which is in like the Library of Congress. It's a historically important film. Mm hmm. Uh, there are a few things that the end of the movie, while fascinating, left me unsatisfied. Yeah. I th I felt like it kind of fell apart a little bit. Yeah. It was- The first half of it, maybe, I was like, whoa. Right. This, now, this is a movie. Yes. It reminded me of Poltergeist, kind of. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it was very horror-y. I was really into it. Yeah. And it was really interesting. And then, yeah, kind of, kind of toward the end, I felt like it slowed down a lot and maybe relied on- the coolness and uniqueness at the time of the ship right. and special effects and things like that. And ba, there wasn't ba, a ton ba, of other ba. stuff going on, even though that's awesome. It's really cool. There are stretches where nobody's talking. And I'm not somebody who I think really needs things to be like boppity boppity bop all the time. Right. But it just felt like it slowed down to me yeah. in a way that didn't feel great. Yeah, there are a bunch of awesome things in it, but yeah. all together as a movie it doesn't really feel like a story. Mm -hmm. I know there, there, it, there's not really a, a plot. It's just kind of things happening, which again, I actually don't always mind. Yeah. Yeah. And I still really liked the movie, 
But I was surprised. I felt like it really lost momentum. Couldn't agree more. So spoilers for Close Encounters of the Third Kind. If mm-hmm. you're afraid of spoilers, time to dip out. Yeah. Um, so there were a few things. You point out poltergeist. Mm-hmm. Totally agreed. There's uh, a wonderful technique in poltergeist um, uh, where Coach. Yeah. What's his name? Craig, Craig T. Nelson. Craig T. Nelson. Coach T. Nelson. <laughs> Coach T. Nelson is talking to his son who is afraid of the storm. Yeah. There's a storm outside. There's thunder and lightning. And he teaches the kid a technique. He's like, oh, just count for every second. That's, you know, every 100,000 feet, it's away. So when you see the light, count. And then when you hear the thunder, you'll be able to tell if it's getting closer or further. Mm-hmm. And in Close Encounters, it opens when they get to Richard Dreyfus, at least. Yeah. He's teaching his son math by using a train set. He's like, so let's do fractions. If the train is one third on the bridge, two thirds of it are over the 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 rest of the track. Mm-hmm. Another train is coming. How much of the train needs to move to make space for the other train? And I was like, oh, this is the same thing. Yeah, that's true. I this didn't is think about like that. folksy teaching kids stuff, but it very quickly sets up the family mm-hmm. and it very quickly gets you invested in them. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the kid with the toys that are all moving on their own and stuff like that. And yeah. It did feel very proto-poltergeist. Yeah, a lot of stuff in the home, yes. you know, for, for the kid in it. And, like, that's the Spielberg bread and butter. Like, yeah. small town America, like, little life inside a house. Right. And then Something there's the, all this other, like, jet-setting stuff where they're, like, the French guy with Bob Balaban. And... I didn't love all that stuff. It felt very disconnected. <laughs> Sometimes I know what was going on. That was what made me think a lot about Independence Day. Because Independence Day is all about like all these spread out events all around the globe almost. Right, right. Uh, but then they need to Seinfeld. They need to cross over those yeah, storylines. Yeah, I didn't feel like it was super clear. It wasn't really satisfying yeah. when uh, Richard Dreyfus came face to face with- It was like, uh, oh yeah, these guys from the other part of the story where they go away from the people we like and know. And I was like, huh. Okay, now so they're, they're with us. Kind of near each other, but Richard Dreyfus is kind of a uh, a chump in this. He's, He's not a, a hero chump. in any way. He's no way. A complete ass. Yeah, totally. Poor Terry Gar. Poor Terry Gar. Her story is sad. She's For that little... family. It's very scary. It's very no, scary. No, she's she's not great. I'm, she's not, I'm not saying very... that she's yeah. She's not a very sympathetic character. No. Um, but like, there's another read of this story where the husband and father in a family goes mad. Oh. And Quite they they have to get out of the house. The mashed potatoes scene was mm-hmm. shockingly emotional. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I was thinking to myself, I was like, if they make it that the son is crying, looking at what his dad is doing, I was like, that would be brilliant. Yeah. But they probably won't. They're probably going to laugh. And then I panned over to the it's kid brutal. who starts to well up. And I was like, oh my God, they're doing it. He's just silently crying. I loved it. I did too. I mean, it was great. It was very, very sad. Um, so Spielberg says that today, he, if he could change the movie, he wouldn't have Roy leave his family at the end. Right. That was a chump move and it wasn't a good idea. <sighs> I don't know about that, though. I think it's a challenging move. <laughs> Richard Dreyfus at the end of the movie gets on the spaceship. I don't yeah. I don't even know if it counts as a close encounter of the fourth kind because he willingly walks onto the ship. True. But so he essentially walks away from the life that he had before. He leaves his family, his wife and his kids, and he gets mm-hmm. on the spaceship. So Spielberg saying that he would not have it be that way today yeah. is partly, I think, Influenced by the fact that he became a father after he made this movie. True. That makes sense. So he might have more sentimentality about trying to keep a, a family together. Yeah. But I also think that there's something that's challenging and in- interesting that uh, Richard Dreyfus's entire life has been flipped, turned upside down. And could he really go home? I, I don't know s- that he could. That's an interesting read on it. I think that the 
tone of the movie, even though he goes crazy and you see him like throwing dirt through the window and everything, it still feels like a Spielberg movie. Like there's still some tones of like loviness and sappiness. It's it doesn't feel like a movie where you're really seriously watching somebody go irreversibly mad. Right. I think because and maybe because I knew it was a Spielberg movie and had expectations of that, I guess I was like, okay, this guy's going to go crazy for a while. He's going to get what he wanted and I might grumble about it, but he's going to go back to his family and they're going to be there for he's him. He's going to do the right thing and then like he and his son will like look at each other and have a shared understanding that like it, it all was real. Right, and he'll have been wrong. Right. But they love him and they'll forgive him and he and his wife have trouble, but they're going to work it out or something. I assumed that was going to happen. And right. it feels like that vibe is still kind of there in the movie. It's that kind of I agree. thing. So I guess it was, it didn't necessarily feel, I mean, obviously I'm challenged by it. It didn't necessarily feel like, wow, what an interesting, challenging choice to go that way. It was like, this doesn't fit. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> like, he's just going to go? In somebody else's hands, mm -hmm. the the depiction of somebody who's losing their mind. Yeah. Like, if you could play it as, he said he saw a UFO, but we don't know for sure. Yeah. Like, if you can imagine a cut of this movie where you don't see what Richard Dreyfus sees. Right, right. And now you're just watching him devolve as a person. You're in the Terry Gar role. Yeah. As a viewer. Yeah. Do you believe this guy or not? It could be a story about mental illness or it could be a story about the extraterrestrials that made contact. Yeah. And that's really interesting to see somebody's like mental decline. How far will they go? Right. But right. in it a Spielberg movie, like you yeah. think that there's going to be some sort of uh, a grand adventure. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to come to a close. But no, the movie doesn't even really end. Mm -mm. Richard Dreyfus gets on the spaceship. It takes off. Right. And the credits just come on the screen. I know. It is anticlimactic and unceremonious. It right. just ends. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's odd. I feel like it doesn't really keep in tone with the rest of the movie. It's a strange ending. It's really, really weird. Mm -hmm. um, the scientist story ultimately by the time we get to the end, I realize is the far more fascinating one. I know. And Richard Dreyfus, we find out, is one of several people experiencing what he's experiencing. Which is cool. Which is cool. I like it when you find out that everybody's making their mashed potatoes look like that and everything. Yeah, everybody yeah. has gone to the Devil's Tower. Right. That's oh, sweet. man. Which, by the way, I did a little research. One mm -hmm. of the earliest people to climb the Devil's Tower way back in like 1890, something like that, Will Rogers. Get out of here. Not not the famous cowboy comedian. But just a uh, Will Rogers? Me. Would you look at that? In the future, I go back in time and climb the Devil's Tower. Amazing. Yeah, just, a, some, just some guy named Will Rogers. There's probably a picture of you. Like how, remember we looked at, oh, which actually ties into something I have to say. Remember we looked at pictures of people who say they're time travelers in these pictures. Like there's somebody holding a cell phone and a picture that's supposed to be from the 1800s or right, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like Greta Thunberg in the early 1900s. Adam Driver is in this movie. <laughs> He's not I really. I said the same thing. Really? I said the same thing he to Allie at the beginning. Really. Yes. Yeah. There's a guy who looks just like Adam Driver, like today's Adam Driver in the movie. And I was like, what? Oh, it's awesome. The, so the movie opens with like them in a desert, yeah. which had very strong Indiana Jones vibes. Yes. Indiana Jones wouldn't come out for four more years. Right. So it was fun seeing that some of that like Spielberg I thought the same thing. When DNA. I was watching, I was like, come on, watch Indiana Jones. I was all excited. I was like, I said to Ali, I was like, this is, you know, there are plenty of Spielberg movies I have not seen. Yeah, same. But this is a big famous one, mm -hmm. a big blank spot in my film history. Yeah. And so it was really exciting to discover a movie that feels like that that I hadn't seen before. I know. It's and fun. it quickly abandons that adventure Indiana Jones vibe. But yeah, I clocked Alan, uh, Adam Driver as well. <laughs> I 
know. It's truly funny. It also made me realize that Adam Driver plays son of Solo in Star Wars. Ah. And I almost wish that he could have been son of mm-hmm. Indiana Jones. Indy. Me too. I but Shia LaBeouf just... did a good job. I, he did. He did. He totally fit the tone of that movie yes, and everything. Yes, controversial opinion. Like... I do not hate Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I don't either. I really don't either. Another Spielberg movie with aliens yep. where he posits that they are from other dimensions rather than outer space. That's right. That's right. He does. Yep. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think it's good movie yeah i i like it fine yeah i like it fine um but yeah what were we talking oh 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 so richard dreyfus just being sort of like one of many i know people who's obsessed with all this stuff really highlights that like the bits and pieces of his story were supposed to be slice of life rather Mm -hmm. than big deal right although he does end up being the one to get on the spaceship so i guess in that sense he was special but like but that's that's just him making himself special. It's, it's just that he's special because he went the extra mile. He just wouldn't stop. Yeah. It, he's not chosen by them or something like right. that. He was just super tenacious. True. Um, you know, when he, when else he's one of many, if if it's okay for me to close us out with something, you good? I get, Yeah, I get, you know, it's me. I, I feel like I could talk about the I know. movie for like another hour. But, I know. Yeah. yeah, we've been going for a while now already. Um, he is also one of many in the SNL sketch, Cone Encounters of the Third Kind. When he hosted in season three, and he plays Roy Neary. He plays Roy Neary. In a Conehead sketch. So you can't find the video of this online anymore, but you can find a uh, a transcript of the segment. So I took the liberty of going over and condensing it. Oh, boy. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> so here's what happens in, in short. Roy Neary is on the phone with his wife, Ronnie. He's trying to form the Cone Devil's Tower thing when he sees a commercial on TV featuring Beldar, Dan Aykroyd, (laughs) advertising for driving school. We then cut to the Coneheads uh, in their home talking about the high ma- how the High Master is coming down from Remulac, and Roy busts in their house saying he had to find them. Once he saw that Conehead on TV and he looks at the Cone thing that he's making, he draws the parallel and he finds the Coneheads somehow. Then a spaceship hovers over the Conehead's house just the way it hovered over the Devil's Tower. And at some point in the sketch, Roy says, I just want to know that this is really happening, like he does in the movie. The High Master comes in and they say that they will take Roy back with them to Remulok as their supreme attendant. <laughs> supreme attendant. That's and a comedy sketch. closes with the uh, the spaceship over their house. Okay. Does, does he eat waffles with them? Uh, p- possibly. There was also a Mad Magazine parody called Claude Encounters of the Third Kind. Okay. Just like, hmm. And also in Rocco's- Like C-L-O-D? Like Claude's dumb. Yeah, like you're a yeah. Claude. Uh-huh. A dumb Claude. And then- <laughs> says Claude. I know. Well, it was like the 80s. <laughs> no, I know. But it's, I haven't thought about that word in a long time. Uh, and then on Rocco's Modern Life, um, the turtle- Oh, yeah. Who I don't remember. Anyway, he's uh, in heat because he's supposed to go to the Galapagos <laughs> Islands. Modern Life is crazy. Rocco's Modern Life is insane. He's supposed to go to the Galapagos Island to meet with the other turtles. And he is <laughs> oh my God. fiendishly scraping like his mashed potatoes, basically, and recreating the Galapagos Islands shape. He's compelled to go there. <laughs> That's really... So I remembered that. That's funny and crazy. You just remembered I that? I just remembered that. Really? Yeah. And... Y- did you know that was connected to Close Encounters it of the Third Kind? It disturbed me when I was a kid. Yeah, why are we talking about things in heat uh, <laughs> on children's Yeah, pictures? I don't know. I, I did know iconography from Close Encounters. No, I did like, too. I hadn't seen the full movie, but I do distinctly remember Dad had the laser disc. Yeah. And I've seen the end sequence, like probably mm-hmm. like the last, you know, it, whenever you look up this movie, you keep hearing about the last 30 minutes, the last yeah, 30 yeah, yeah. minutes, the last 30 minutes. 
I've definitely seen that. I hadn't seen the whole last three minutes. I knew about the tones and that big screen where they there are blocks that light up colors when they're playing them, which yeah. is awesome. I love that. Yeah. It's really, really cool. Yeah, it rules. And I loved, because I always wondered, somebody in the movie goes, what are we saying to each other? Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, good. That's the central thing that I've always wondered. And I they know. don't know either. <laughs> just um, somehow a shared yeah shared message we're doing of, something we to get each other. each other kind of we're cool right kind of. and they play the beginning two notes of the jaws theme song yep that was great that was very cool i know i liked that, that a lot fun. they also tie into the bermuda triangle a bunch of stuff uh, uh resources oh, yeah. that was lost in the bermuda triangle that's right one of them a ship yes uh uh was recently discovered to uh, uh they recently found it they did? Yeah, they found that ship. It's at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. Went oh, missing that's in the cool. Bermuda Triangle. In the movie, they say it showed up in the desert. Right. Which is a very, like, lost yeah, totally. kind of notion. Yeah, totally. It's awesome. Um, but people have known of this wreckage for, like, 100 years. Right. But only recently did they realize that this wreckage we've known about is that ship. Oh, cool. Kind of cool. That's very cool. Kind of fun. Kind of fun. All right, sweet well, guys. There you go. Well, thank you for hanging out with us. Thank you for listening. As always, you can find us all over social media at GTTUPod. You can go to patreon.com slash GTTUPod to get a bunch of extra content. There's a whole extra podcast episode that comes out every month when you donate to us over there, along with other audio, live videos, all yeah. kinds of stuff. It's it's hopping over there on Patreon. Hopping, popping, and we ain't stopping. And fresh. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to leave reviews. We super appreciate it because then people stumble on it and they're like, okay, these aren't just rando dummies. Other people like them. Maybe I'll like them too. Sometimes and we're really... the people who stumble upon them. Yeah. Uh, just like this review from uh, Christopher Huds. Mm, who I know said, who that is. I know. Who said so much much fun guide to the unknown is an open-minded investigation into the world of legends folklore and the paranormal and also funny as hell the brother sister duo duo of will and Kristen are so much fun to listen to and the topics they cover are fascinating it's not just a boring rehash of bigfoot or the loch ness monster they dive deep into regional legends the true stories behind spooky movies seasonal frights urban legends and many other topics if you're a fan of the paranormal the spooky the strange or the unexplained this is the podcast for you there is something here for everyone Highly recommended. Holy crap, Christopher. Thank you so, so much. It is. I'd like to give that five-star review five stars. Oh, absolutely. I know exactly who that is. Thank you so much, Christopher. He's part of Patreon. He's part of our Guide to Unknown uh, Secret Society on Facebook. So we're very aware of him in the community. Thank you. Thank you very much, So much for that. And you can also find us individually online. I am at Chillin' Kristen on Instagram and Twitter. And I (laughs) am the Myth Traveler. So thank you all so much for having some close, close, close encounters with us. We hope you had a good time, and we will see you next week when we will once again ride back in on our spaceship to share more with the world. But until that time comes, we must travel. Back to the netherworld, go we. Go we.